Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It boils down to what is it you do as a job, Andy? I answer expensive financial questions. When a lot of money lands or some big decisions need to be made in your life, you're not going to seek that, you know, virtually via an influencer online. You're going to go and see someone because you've got an expensive question. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend, Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and josh at www.cavendishcontent.com topfs.co.uk. Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Hello, Joshua. Hello, Mark. So you brought a friend for this episode podcast royalty and in the financial planning world some some would say that's right i didn't know you had friends beyond me do you, do you want to introduce our guest for this episode i would love to so today we are joined by none other than the one and only andy hart good morning andy good morning how are you i'm good thank you so i first met andy i must be about five years ago now and Andy, without wanting to make his head fill up the camera too much, Andy changed my financial advising life. He opened my eyes to a better way to do things. Um, and not not uh, that wasn't the reason for meeting. He was just doing a, a taking a training course that I was part of. But I was inspired by the man. And uh, it led me on a much more enjoyable way to do things. The way I do my work, the way I treat my clients, the way I, the way I do everything, really. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show today, Andy. Wow, that is absolutely uh, an amazing intro. Thank you very much. I, I remember the training session quite well. Um, yeah, and I'm pleased I've had a, a, a good impact uh, on you. And the training sessions are quite light-hearted, as you probably probably agree. But at the same time, we've got a sort of serious message that, that we're trying to get across. Um, yeah, and it's often not your typical training session, I suppose you would uh, you would agree. But it's all about financial planning and basically trying to help clients and and getting them to do good things for their future selves, which is our our daily challenge, isn't it, my friend? Yeah, I think it's just good to finally have an inspiring financial planner on this podcast. It's nice. <laughs> am I the first <laughs> other? Oh yeah, sorry. Am I the first yeah. other financial planner that's been on? Uh, he wants he, want, he wants it all for himself. Um, yeah. Yeah, yes. and then we, and, and and then we've done quite a bit since that, haven't we? We've um, yeah, we've become yeah friends, um, so colleagues and friends. Yeah, um, and yeah, we're both on a, on a similar track now, and uh, with our client work and financial education as well. So yeah, um, all good stuff, mate. Keep uh, keep paying it forward. Yeah. So one of the one of the uh, key messages that Andy uh, delivers and, and lives is humans under management that's sort of the banner for uh for a lot of what andy does um do you maybe want to explain to us what what humans under management means 
Uh, sure. The the specific word is just a sort of, sorry, the specific title is a sort of play on words. In the financial advice and the investment management business, uh, a key metric that everyone talks about is, is assets under management, which is basically people's money, people's pensions, people's ISAs, people's investments. Uh, and uh, various companies have a sort of metric of how much money they're looking after for their clients. So they, they call it assets under management, AUM. Uh, and as financial advisors, we sort of focus on assets under management. You know, the, the more assets we look after, the more sort of challenges we're helping clients with, the more assets we look after, the generally the more money we earn. Um, and after about, I don't know, maybe 10 years as a financial advisor, you're, you're focusing on the money. You're thinking, oh, the money's where the problems are, the money's where all the solutions are. And then about 10 years into the business, you think, I don't get any problems from my, from the money. The money just sort of takes care of itself. The markets do what they do. All of my problems are coming from you know, these people, these humans that are in control of the assets. And then you sort of completely change your focus and you think, okay, so the assets is the easy part, looking after money. It's a bit of a challenge, uh, but once you've got your head around it, it's a bit of a tick in the box. And then you spend the rest of your career, you know, managing the owners of the money, you know, the human owners of the money. And it's just a play on words. So I thought we, we should have a bigger focus on on humans under management rather than assets under management. And that's how how that came about. But going back, um, there's sort of some fundamental things we we need to learn as financial advisors or anyone actually in the financial game. Uh, there's a couple of key points to uh, to focus on. So the whole reason we have a sort of developed insurance market, life insurance market, investment market, anything around money, is because humans are not born with an expiry date. And I'll just let that sort of sit for a while. Humans are not born with an expiry date. So this means we have no idea when we're going to pop it. So we don't know. If we knew we were going to live to 95, you would obviously, um, you know, take out mortgages, buy houses, invest money so you've got money in your retirement. If you knew we were going to pop it at a lot younger age, at let's say 35, your planning would be completely different. So the fact that we have this unknown time of leaving this planet is we have to then do this whole balancing act of, sort of insuring ourselves if anything bad happens and you know we leave our family in not not such a good position and then we also need to invest money because if we stop working at some point we need to live off it so the fact that humans are not born with an expiry date is the whole reason why we have this sort of mature financial services sort of sector and then the other thing around this is the human is born and the human leaves the factory with all of their screws loose and then over time, you become a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and all your screws get tightened. And the ones around, you know, money, decision making, doing the right thing, these are the final screws to be tightened. Um, so it's all around the sort of psychology of money and getting people um, to understand that their behavior is going to be the key thing in them becoming financially successful. Um, and that's it, really. Um, so I bang on, I bang the drum about you know, better client outcomes through all the work I do with financial advisors. Uh, but with my with my clients that I look after day in, day out, uh, I'm, I'm trying to either remove their financial anxiety, which is by telling them the sort of truth, truth, truth about money. And then the second thing I'm trying to do is promote great financial behavior. And you guys have probably covered that, you know, to your blue in the face, which is generally control your expenses, spend less than you earn, pay yourself first, invest every month, Ensure yourself against bad surprises, sorry, bad health surprises, you know, hit by a car, death, these sort of things. And then finally, you've got to do some sort of planning, you know, financial planning. So that's it, really. Spend less than you earn, 
pay yourself first, insure yourself against bad health surprises, and then do some planning. Um, yeah, so that's that. I've, uh, I've rambled a bit. But how, So how does this differ to traditional financial advice? Like before you came along or before other um, human under-management advocates were doing this, what, what, what were advisors doing before or what are some still doing? I, I, I think the area is sort of behavioural finance. Um, and this is a sort of strand of economics, I believe, that has sort of become quite a big thing in the last uh, 10, 20, 30 years, depending on what sort of time time horizon you're going to pick. Um, I still would call myself a financial advisor. Uh, and as financial advisors, we've sort of morphed in recent times and we all call ourselves different things and it's quite confusing. So we call ourselves financial advisors, financial planners, wealth managers, financial life planners, life planners, money coach. You know, it's, it's a little bit confusing. Well, I just stick to the title of financial advisor. Um, and I suppose we're just doing it, you know, doing it well and doing it how it should be. So it doesn't differ a lot, really. We're still doing the same sort of things. We're still doing the bread and butter sort, sort of things, insurances, you know, pensions, financial planning. But we're more focused on the client because they're they're constantly trying to share with us a financial misconception and we're just on the front foot and we say okay so I I see how you're thinking about this sort of problem but let me just explain to you how this may work Uh, and then the client sort of gets it I suppose we're just a bit more on the front foot of the sort of psychology and the the emotions of the client Um, but they shouldn't really know any different it's not as if they'll come to me and, and I'm a you know a behavioral humans under management financial advisor and the person down the road isn't um you know, we, we sort of both have the same sort of job title, but I'm just a little bit more, you know, into the, you know, psychology and emotions around money, basically. Mark, I think one thing you um, will find is that people, there's some advisors who still focus on the way things used to be back in the past, which is performance of funds and moving things around, chasing performance. And a lot of clients... When you first meet them, that's their focus. How much money are you going to make me? What are my returns going to be? And when you work with someone who's got a more long-term behavioural focus, the conversation starts to shift from funds and performance to what am I going to get at the end of the day? Am I going to have enough money to live my life? Can I pay for my school fees? Can I leave money to my kids after I'm gone? And I think that's probably the big difference between the behavioural or the humans under management approach and the, I'll call it the old school approach for one of a better term. Is there any kickback from advisors on that? Do, do you get much opposition from the old guys? Well, yes, it's, you know, people love to, you know, hold on to the status quo. So so any, any changes is, is there, there's going to be friction. I think quite a good one is, uh, following on from Josh's point, yeah, the financial media and clients you know, would let's say follow that, that, that they focus on, let's say, performance of investing. Um, performance is, is an important thing. We all want good returns. We all want to be set up in the right portfolios. But what's going to move, move the needle more? Um, fund A getting 10% versus fund B getting 12% or you tripling your investment contributions over the next 10 years? Obviously, if you triple your investment contributions, you do the heavy lifting and you increase your contributions at a regular rate, at least annually, because someone like me or Josh is in their life and we say, right, you're paying £500 a month at the moment into your pensions and ISAs. We really need to increase this. 
and they go, do I really? Because their current self's always trying to wriggle out of doing anything good for the future self. And we say, yes, you do. You need to do the hard work here. It's all up to you if you're going to become financially independent. Not fund manager A versus fund manager B because the difference is 10% versus 12%. So that, again, is a good example. I'm pretty harsh on my clients in getting them to you know, do the heavy lifting in terms of the contributions. I mean, how many articles do you see in the Sunday Times that talk about person A versus person B and their saving percentage of what they're aggressively investing every you're never going to see it because it doesn't make sort of good reading um but things like that compounded over time are going to have a far more impact on your financial outcomes than fund manager a versus fund manager b um and uh it's uh it's a challenge with our clients as i say the current self is trying to constantly wriggle out of doing anything good for the future self that's from setting up insurances to protect their family if anything happened. That's from setting up investment contributions to ensure that they have a you know, dignified and comfortable retirement. That, that, that's the, the biggest battle that we're trying to close. You know, try, we're trying to meet the current self and future self together rather than have this gap of the future self wishes that you do these good things and the current self is trying to wriggle out of everything. Uh, just to stick up for financial media for a moment as a personal finance journalist. And <laughs> Go for it cynical hats on but i think if you read on the personal finance pages a lot of them are starting from a point where people are already investing or they're already looking at yep. getting insured otherwise they probably wouldn't be reading those pages um so that's one but are that's they putting of, a good effort are they putting proper effort into it well you know that, yeah that's, or you know are they earning fifty thousand pounds a year and they're only investing 150 pounds a month or are they only fifty thousand pounds a year and investing 900 pounds a month you know it needs to be painful it's not painful enough, the contributions that they're making in with most clients. But sorry, um, I, I carry on, Mark. Yeah, but I, do, that, I think that's the trouble for journalists. They're not, okay, editors aren't going to be keen to tell their readers you've got to, it's got to be painful. You've got to do the effort. Yeah, you've got <laughs> the to... effort's within you, not yeah. externally. And then it's, it's an internal to... behaviour. Yeah, and it's hard to illustrate the benefits of investing for the long term and putting that money in over a long period if there's no one who can talk about it because no one's got to that point yet or is willing to to talk about getting to that point i guess the other issue yeah. is a lot of readers a lot of people i guess are quite irrational so how i guess how, how do you get someone to behave rationally when a lot of people seem to inherently be irrational again i suppose we have to play the long game with clients you know uh, the question a lot of people ask is how much should i be investing and when should i start Now, the answer to this is always yesterday and more. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear, oh, how old are you? When can we maybe do it? And what do you earn? No, no, no. You need to start investing now or yesterday and more than you think. So immediately they're going to be pushed back by that answer. Um, And then when it comes to investing money in pensions and ISAs and the, the sort of bread and butter normal things, you need to just get started. The biggest challenge is going from zero to fifty pounds a month, or zero to a hundred pounds a month. Getting it started, going from a hundred pounds a month to two hundred pounds a month is a walk in the park. Going from two hundred to three hundred again, it just gets easier and easier and easier. So to go from zero to a hundred or zero to fifty is the biggest challenge because a lot of people, the current selves, are always waiting for the perfect time. Oh no, you know what I'm going to do, Andy and Josh? I'm going to wait till next year. I get a pay rise. The kid's going to stop that. I've got the ballet's going to stop. I'll do £500 a month then. No, 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 it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Let's do £150 a month now. I'll send you an email six months' time and we're going to say we're going to increase it to £300. 
Um, that's how that plays out um, in, in reality. Um, so again, it's this whole behavioral challenge we have as financial advisors. And a lot of people think, oh, this is the salesperson, what's in it for them? No, no we obviously get paid because that's the nature of the business but this is all good for you my friend you are going to be the person that's going to build up all of this money and when you get to that point when you're retired you're going to look to the right or left and go oh my god i've got 400 grand here that's been thank you for badgering me andy for the last 40 years to put that money aside if we weren't there badgering them telling them they need to, they need to start now start immediately it needs to be, become uncomfortable every every year you need to nudge it up who knows what the number that they would have ended up at the end. Um, the only reason why sort of me and Josh know this so well is because we see people at the end of the journey. We see the 62-year-olds that haven't invested correctly over the last 40 years. We see the results of bad investing. We see the results of bad financial planning. So that's why we're a bit more uh, brutal with the people in their late 30s, early 40s, because we know... We've seen the outcomes of, of, of bad planning and bad investing. But if you're only looking at the end point, and some of this... We're not only on, looking at the end point. I'm saying we see the end point. We see yeah. the end point as successful but if you're focusing financial... so much on the end point, do you risk missing the bits along the way? Like if, if, if you just started on an investing journey in the last five years, you would have had Brexit and then a pandemic and then now the cost of living crisis. And each of those moments... There would have been times where you may have thought, well, I can't afford to invest, especially now because energy bills are going up and food's more expensive. Like, how do you explain to someone, oh, you've got to start investing more, but also your energy bills are going to be £3,000 a year. So where's where's the balance? Well, yeah, sure. That's a, that's an anecdote, obviously. Um, and uh, I mean, that's that, what's that happening be... in, in people's lives, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. And that will be very much the case for, for a lot of people. Um, you can't obviously increase your investment contributions if there's no slack there. So obviously, you know, uh, from an accounting point of view, it needs to make sense. Um, but just by default, we work with people that have means because we're, we're financial advisors. We're a luxury good. It just is what it is. So in my in my business, I work with people that have money. Uh, let's just call them middle class, mass affluent. Um, you know, so they're less affected by what, what, what you've mentioned. Um, hence me doing a podcast, which is free advice to people at all, all, all wealth levels. But we are financial advisors. We work with people that do have a lot of money. You know, as, as I say, we're, we're a luxury good. So it just is it is the nature of it. So a lot of the things I'm saying to you, um, they're, they're, the, the, the client of what I'm telling you is, is someone that has money and has means. Um, yeah, someone who started their investing journey over the last five years. Well, a lot of people would have done this through their pensions at work. Uh, and yes, you're right. For the last five years, we've run into a few global crises. But as a world, we've moved from panic to crisis and back to panic. You know, that's just how the world moves. Uh, well, yeah, we've run into COVID. Uh, we've obviously run into the Russian war. We've run into the cost of living crisis. But in terms of the, if you were investing during that time, the market's been quite volatile. I mean, it's been going up and down. But every month you've been making your contributions, if you were able to stick to them, you're buying units at cheap prices. So when you're a net buyer of investment funds, something called the stock market, the great companies that we use every single day, you want the market decline, to decline because you buy more units. This is, again, what the human can't understand. It's the only thing that people regularly buy every single month. The only thing that people regularly buy every single month that when the prices go down, they run. 
If you were buying apples for a living every single month and the price went down, you'd be delighted. If you were buying cars for a living and the price went down, you'd be delighted. You're buying stock market units and the price declines and you somehow are annoyed and want to run for the door. This, again, is what the human can't understand. They don't understand that when the prices go down and you have to buy them every single month via your pensions and ISAs and contributions at work, this is good news for you. Long term, the price will recover because that's what the stock market has done, history being our guide. So again, that's something else that people struggle to do, certainly early in their investing journey. If the markets decline aggressively early in their investing journey, it's great news for them financially, but behaviorally and emotionally, they completely can't intellectualize it. Um, hence, they need to be, they need to somehow become, uh, you know, financially literate and understand that that is good news for them when it comes to their investing. Mark, it's uh, it's amazing how often you have the same conversations with different clients. Uh, you say to them, right, put, let's let's top up your ISA this year. Let's put in your twenty thousand or whatever the number is. I'm a bit nervous at the moment. Things are a bit. There's a recession coming. Things are a bit ropey in the economy. And as Andy explained it before, if when things are cheaper, you should be buying more. Once you have that conversation with a client a few times and they get it, great. They never need to have it again. But in the start of the journey with most people, you have to have that conversation. Well, the classic example is when petrol goes up, you know, people are annoyed. When it goes down, people run to the pumps. When the stock market goes down, they don't run to the stock market and stock up, but they stock up on petrol. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a constant challenge, as uh, as Josh as Josh says. There's a famous sort of a, a financial advisor coach in the USA called uh, US called Nick Murray, and he says the human can't retain vitamin C. It's the same when it comes to you know financial literacy, investing literacy. Clients just continually deplete. Um, you know, um, investing literacy, and we have to constantly top it up every single six months, every single, yeah. But again, it's that's why would our clients know know all of this stuff? You know, we 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 spend thousands of hours of year, thousands of hours a year, which is compounded over the last you know twenty years, um, and we're the last line of defence with our clients. That's the um, that, that, that's how it works. But then, I guess if if a lot of those clients have wealth anyway, then that hopefully they would be all right, would be better off than those who don't. So who is it more important that you reach out to, like those who do have the money and the means, or do you also need to somehow be getting to those who can't afford to invest or think they can't afford to invest so don't engage at all with it? Yeah, good good question. Well, it depends on, you know, the, the cycle of life that you're in. You know, the first 20 years you're in your educational cycle, from 20 to 30, you're finding your feet, you're finding your career, you may have started to now pay off debt. You may have started to save for a house. You might be renting. You may have joined a pension at work. So you're starting to do these, I believe they call it adulting uh, in the social media world, uh, all of these boring things like rent, mortgages, pensions. And then in your 30s to 40s, you're a bit more established. You may have started a family. So again, you've got other challenges. You need to look at mortgages and insurance. Um, and then in your 40s, your expenses might start to sort of dip a bit. Um, and then you can start to think, well, actually, I need to a plan for my future retirement, let's just call it. Um, I think they say the average age of someone who lands in mine and Josh's, Josh's office 
is age 47. Uh, and the sort of joke is that 47-year-old went to bed dreaming about buying the next Mercedes and the luxury holiday. They wake up in the morning petrified that they're going to run out of money in retirement. And it is literally like that. Whereas before that, if if they said to that 47-year-old dreaming about the next Mercedes, you need to plan for your retirement, go see a financial advisor. And they said, no, I don't need to do any of that. Sort of, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not my focus at the moment. Was when you speak to them in the morning, they're like, I desperately need to find, see a financial advisor now. I need to find out how I'm going to do this. I need help. And they'll turn up at one of our offices and they'll say to us, help, how do I plan for my retirement? Um, does that answer your question, Mark, in terms of the sort I of think different so. life cycles? Yeah. Mark, you, uh, it sounded like you also were, were asking, why are we helping the wealthy? We should oh. be helping... Well, not ju- yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying you need to be Robin Hood, but yeah, I guess it's how. Yeah, because obviously, well, well I think who- the 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 issue is not the issue, but the remember we are not charities, we are not the government, we run businesses, and we get paid for the work we do. And it would be lovely to be in a position where you could provide the financial advice free to anyone who needed it. In reality, most people aren't in a position to be able to do that we've also got bills to pay families to support um th- li- lives to live so that is why for people that can't afford financial advice there are free resources such as this podcast such as andy's podcast which we will ask him to tell us about in a bit such as the government websites that do it and and a similar thing for you we could say mark why are you getting paid to do your journalism shouldn't you be providing these services and going out to meet people and giving them all this information for nothing? It's just not the way the world works. Yeah. I I think people are drowning in information. That is not the problem. I mean, you can learn anything you want now. It is just an absolute avalanche of information out there. Finance is included in that. Investing is included in that. People can learn everything they want. It's just, are they motivated? Um, And getting your head around money is one of the greatest things one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself but you know with time with age people become more and more concerned about their money and their finances you know me and josh have been financial advisors for years our our, our friends when we were sort of 25 30 they didn't quite appreciate or understand what we did and then when when they started to buy a house they're like andy i need to come and see how's all this stuff work and then they're motivated they're interested uh, and again, we're going to get that with with our circle of friends. Um, you know, as 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 we bec- as we become older, I'm 41 now. Um, people, it's their internal motivation. Basically, I get emails from people that listen to my podcast who are 21, 22, that sort of age. I think they're a bit too young. The things I talk about are, are generally pitched at sort of mass affluent middle class. But there's loads of messages that they can get from it. Uh, and then I get messages from people, you know, in their late 50s that everything I'm talking about is so relevant to them. Um, but there's lots of things you need to get your head around these days. And and we're, we're, we're in this situation where it's everything's overstimulated. Um, you know, this whole dopamine nation situation that the smartphone has created. Um, it's a pretty uh, challenging world to navigate. Um, you know, there's just uh, a, an overload of pleasure everywhere. But is that area something that advisors or planners can also take advantage of because you you have like tiktok and social media is full of alleged financial influencers and something and obviously you guys are held back a bit well a lot by regulation in terms of what you can do and say but is there a way you guys can be using 
that more beyond just podcasts to I don't know I guess the issue is for a lot of people financial advice doesn't sound as trendy as watching a 60 second TikTok about a mortgage or a pension although that doesn't sound too exciting either yeah, no, I I I get it. And young younger people are always looking for excitement and action. That's that's the nature of it. Obviously, we've had the crypto, the NFT, and all this sort of stuff. I keep a close eye on everything financial related, um, and sometimes I even invest in stuff just to again be part of it. You know, I'm not doing it to make any serious money. Obviously, it's just fun money. But again, it's all, all research. Um, and we're constantly going to see scams. There's always going to be greed scams. That's not going to change. You know, there's a huge difference between a genuine deception scam and a greed scam. Again, journalists need to write about this in a bit more of a clear, clearer way. If someone has genuinely rifled through my filing cabinet, taken something, defrauded my signature and stolen money from me. That's a genuine fraud scam on me. I haven't entered into that transaction willingly and I certainly haven't entered into that transaction and want to make money. When someone rings me up and says, Andy, I've got this fantastic idea. We're going to create an apartment block on the moon. It's going to be called Moonscape um, and it's going to make, you know, 40x in the next nine months. Can you give me 100 grand? And I give them 100 grand and miraculously they run off with my money. That's a greed scam. That's on me. I mean, yes, the criminal needs to have a bit of a word to and it would be great if they scanned lots of people and went to prison and did some time for it but really the emphasis is on me i got involved in a greed scam this is what crypto is all of it is greed scams they're playing on the human emotion of greed and the person that gets caught up in a greed scam needs to take personal responsibility back to the personal responsibility so there's a huge difference between de deception scams and greed scams and these will be continuing you know for, forever uh, and i'm sure me and josh um both agree our regulators got a lot to answer for for a lot of these scams that people get caught up in um you know this whole cape verde thing that's kicking off at the moment where people have lost billions i mean there should be a sanctioned list of vanilla funds these are all ticked the only thing that's going to happen with these is they're going to fluctuate in price you know there isn't going to be this blow up and someone run off with your money um but anyway that's a sort of more political regulation type question uh, or subject matter. Um, but you've sort of gone from there from from because <laughs> I was sort of talking more about kind of just people who use who aren't necessarily scammers but will be using social media to be pushing um, un unregulated views or views on regulated products that aren't necessarily regulated. Like how how sure. how do you compete with that? I don't know if we compete with it. I mean. Because of free speech and social media, people can talk about anything. You know, I'm sure chefs, you know, shudder when they hear people talking about food preparation. We shudder when we hear people talking about money. Um, personal trainers shudder when they hear people talking about, you know, diet. Um, I suppose it is what it is. You're going to be absolutely drenched in information uh, and marketing and brands, um, whether you like it or not. That's just the world that we live in. Um, there is quite a lot of regulation around finances and what people can and can't say, but it doesn't seem to be adhered to that tightly online. Um, again, it's up to the individuals to seek credible sources. Uh, there is uh, a lot of great information online, um, but it's, I suppose, trying to find it. There's amazing books. Again, 
You know, people need to become well-read if they're going to get their head around this world. Uh, it's amazing. You can buy a book for like £10 and that person's entire career of 30 years is distilled into 10 chapters for 10 quid. It's fascinating. It's mind-blowing. But, you know, people don't read that much. But So, again, it's just a, a general educational question, I suppose. And I think you'll find as well that different people want to be influenced by different people. So some people want that person on TikTok to tell them what to do or that person on uh, I can't think of the name of it, Twitter or whatever it may be. Whereas YouTube. other people want to sit face to face in an office with someone or on a video call and have a, a conversation. So it's not our job to give advice to every single person because we're not right for every single client. There's a certain type of person that Andy and I will want to work with and that type of person that will want to work with us. Uh, I, I, it boils down to what is it you do as a job, Andy? I answer expense. I answer expensive financial questions, and a lot of people that don't have expensive financial questions will just seek their answers everywhere. When a lot of money lands or some big decisions need to be made in your life, you're not going to seek that, you know, virtually via an influencer online. You're going to go and see someone because you've got an expensive question. My expensive question is: I've just inherited a load of money. What do I do with it? How do I retire? What do I need to do in relation to planning a great retirement? I've just sold my business. What do I do now? I've just gone through a divorce. I've received a load of money. What do I do now? So as our you know, professional lives, we help people answer expensive questions. Um, and when people have expensive questions, they do seek out a human, I find. But leading up to that point, you know, they're just, uh, you know, doing doing what they can with 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 what the, what they've got. I think the greatest thing is this um, auto enrollment for pensions. It's, it's, it's been we have underestimated the impact of this. It's going to be absolutely fantastic, and it's been fantastic already at the moment. And everyone, you know, like it or not, is enrolled in this. And all companies are having to make contributions. And people in their early twenties are just going, "Oh, why is this coming?" I was speaking to a twenty-seven-year-old at the weekend. He said, "Andy, I'm thinking about turning it off." He said, "You know, I could do that extra money. I know everyone's telling me not to. My dad's saying don't." I said, "Look, do not, you know, do not do that. You know, once it builds up to a certain value, you realise it works. Once it gets to twenty grand, you're like, oh my god, this thing actually works. This tiny amount coming off my paycheck every month. When it gets to fifty grand, you're like." oh my God, I got 50 grand at like 31 because all of these tiny slices and what my employer has been paying into me. When it gets to 100 grand and when you're like 35, you're like, these pensions are amazing. Why, why did I come into the workforce thinking that they weren't that good? And then they just think, again, all of these this dogma around pensions that have been told for years, which is all incorrect. But again, you know, the financial media love to scare people around these subjects. Um, and then... They've seen it work in person and they've actually experienced it for real themselves. Um, they're just going to be so pro-pension. So we're going to have, I think I think, I think, think Sweden's the most pro-pension country on the planet. Like the contributions are a crazy contribution. And everyone ends up with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, is it Kroon or something, whatever it is. Um, but again, the, 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 the general conception is pensions are amazing in Sweden. Like, I think it might be Sweden. We're, we're going to get to that point as the UK. Me and Josh sit down with people in their late 50s and we explain to them all about the benefits of pensions. Uh, and every question they ask us is generally followed by, yes, yes, that's correct, yeah. And then, like, so it does this and that, yeah, that does that. It does, yeah, it does that. And yeah, it all does, also does that. Yeah, it does that. It does. Well, like the pension is is the golden, you know, investment wrapper, and it just gets better and better and better. It's getting better as well because the cor 
per, uh, corporation taxes going up, so that plays into the hand, hands of the pensions again. And they sit there as like 57-year-olds and they say, why have I not realised this until this point now? They think, I've only got seven years of utilising this wonder financial um, asset. And, and they just kick themselves and they go, look, look, don't, don't stress too much. There's a lot of people that retire and they, they haven't even realised this. At least you've got a few years to catch up. Um, anyway, that's the... That I think there's going to be a, a lot of good happening um, via auto enrolment. It's going to it's going to be a big domino that leads to a lot of other stuff. <clears throat> yeah, it does feel like there could be other nudges that are uh, utilised within the workplace. Like it's weird how childcare vouchers were kind of changed to these tax-free childcare stuff, and that, that seems like an easy area where you could have had I don't know setting up a junior ISA through your workplace and diverting money to an account through salary sacrifice, but. That's all gone. No, 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 no. That is exactly it, Mark. I, I believe the employer is going to be the is going to be the central place where, for example, yeah, you join the employer, join the pension scheme. Tick. Do you also want to do one hundred fifty quid to an ISA? It's that. It's that. You know, we, we call it in our world. We call it the hundred grand tick. You know, you, you tick that. You tick that box as a. 27 year old and and let's say there's another box below it that says we'll increase this by five percent a year that's another hundred grand a year tick you know life boils down to a few of these hundred grand ticks sometimes they're bigger um yeah so it'll be the do you want to join the pension that's a hundred grand tick hundred grand plus tick do you want to join the isa etc etc that just because it's it's friction we don't like friction as humans so if you reduce the friction and it's just a tick box and it's automatically taken care of and it's seamless and it's automated and it's monthly yeah there's going to be so much so much good that's going to come come from uh, someone who can crack doing a lot more financial related sort of services via the monthly paycheck yeah i guess the issue is there's no more no more jobs for life and then you're going to get into pension dashboards and isa dashboards and all this kind of, I don't know, centralised stuff that the government won't be able to manage. Don't know. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Yeah, a lot of people are obviously uh, chopping between jobs and having pensions here, there and everywhere. But it's relatively easy to sort of consolidate them and stuff. But yeah, it's a, li- a little bit more more faff and paperwork. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about your podcast for a bit? Yeah, I can do. Um, it's a weekly podcast called uh, Maven Money. I've got, I think, about 268 episodes or something like that. So we do try and talk about most things financial-related, investing-related, mindset-related, um, psychology, behavior, that sort of stuff. Uh, I think we're getting about 35,000 downloads a month at the moment. Um, it's a pretty brutal schedule. I've covered quite a lot of things. Uh yeah, and it's doing. I hope quite quite a lot of good. I, I think about seventy five percent of the listeners are end consumers, and twenty five percent of the listeners are professionals. Um, so yeah, it's helping the professionals to think about financial concepts in a slightly different way, which then they can then share with their clients, and again, do more good for for their clients, and also end consumers picking up stuff and uh, yeah, implementing things uh, in 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 their lives. Uh, I think the podcast format is is fantastic because uh, people can consume it whilst doing something else. That is why it's, let's say, better than video. Uh, even though most videos these days can just be listened to, they don't really need to be watched unless it is obviously very sort of uh, uh, gr- graphical or such. Um, yeah, that's my podcast, really. it's uh, I suppose it's a behavioral financial advice podcast. Um, but as I say, we, we cover various different subjects. 
How are you guys getting on with the podcast? Is yours um, bi-weekly, is it? Or fortnightly, depending on... Well, it's supposed to be fortnightly, but uh, over the summer, I think we've we have uh, both been away at different summer times. Low. Yeah. We'll try and pick so it up again. Hopefully we'll get back onto it. Yeah. And are you, are you guys mates from back in the past, or are you clients, or are you professional mates? What's, uh, what's, your, what's your connection? How do we meet, Mark? We met, yeah, we're friends, I think, sometimes. Yeah, and then <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew Josh before he was a financial advisor. And um, yeah, and now I am a client, which is why I pushed Josh on what's happened with my money. No, not really. He's got me, he's got me converted most of the way. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You're a client. You're on the receiving end of it. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. All right. Thanks for joining us, Andy. No, thank you very much. Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being in for a penny. penny.